So the purpose of our time together this morning is to once again take a look at the Word of God with the sole purpose of exposing and affirming a biblical vision of human sexuality. God's laws, moral laws, are timeless. You know, with the Mosaic Law, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill. And as a result of that, the church is no, is no longer under the Mosaic Code. But yet, the moral code that's embedded within any of God's covenants is timeless and is applicable for all people in all times. And we see this um, when we go all the way back even to Leviticus 18 with regard to human sexuality and the vision for that. The first five verses, Leviticus 18. Now, what's interesting is when you read your New Testament, and it says things like, flee youthful lusts. The biblical context that they had, the writers of the New Testament had, you know where their biblical context for what youthful lust and lust would look like? It was from their Bible, our Old Testament. So these would have been the, some of the thoughts and ideas that they had while writing such things that we were to be fleeing from and not partaking of. So again, Leviticus 18, I got the first five verses for you on the overhead. Let me read that for you. It says, Yahweh spoke to Moses, speak to the Israelites and tell them, I am Yahweh, your God. Do not follow the practices of the land of Egypt. Now, verse 3 here gives us some intel that there were practices that were happening in the land of Egypt. And where is Yahweh, through Moses, bringing this fledgling nation that's going to turn into the nation of Israel from? He's bringing them out of Egypt. So they would have been familiar with said practices of the land of Egypt. So do not follow the practices of the land of Egypt where you used to live or follow the practices of the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. So from the place they've been, Egypt, to the promised land to which he's taken them, Canaan, there are individuals there that were practicing immorality. And we see here in Leviticus, before the codification of any Mosaic law through Moses, we see the codification of a timeless moral principle that God already had in place. Moral laws that are timeless. You must not follow their customs. Verse 4. You are to practice my ordinances and you are to keep my statutes by following them. I am Yahweh your God. Keep my statutes and ordinances. A person will live if he does them. I am Yahweh. And then from verse 6 all the way down through verse 17, because I've got verse 18, for, uh, verse 22, 18, 22. So let me see, from verse 6 all the way down through verse 21. And I'm not going to read the entirety of this because it's kind of lengthy and it's kind of seedy. It's, it's not pleasant to hear. But it goes off on a long list of immoral practices, the things that were happening in Egypt and in the land of Canaan, the land from which they were coming and the land to which they were going. And it lists off a 
a number of sordid sexual deviant behavior that you shall not do. Do not do these things. This is immoral practices that the Egyptians do, that the Canaanites and the land that I'm sending you are doing. You are to be separate. You are to be a separate people. And then when you get to verse 22, we see that homosexuality is one of those said deviant practices. And if you're curious, it's in the Word of God. Go read them. There are some very deviant behavior. And in line with deviant behavior, verse 22, and you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. It's an abomination before God. And so we might conclude that all of these moral acts that have been listed here perhaps are also considered an abomination before God, a detestable thing to do that ought not to be done by the people of God. These are the things that ought to be being exposed by the people of God, and our conduct ought to look so uniquely differently than the conduct, the moral indecency of the world that people would know we truly belong to God. So when you get to verse 24, it says, Do not defile yourself by any of these practices, for the nations I am driving out before you have defiled themselves by these things. The land has become defiled, so I am punishing it for its sin. Now this is an inter interesting statement right here. I am punishing it for its sin. When did the nations in Canaan ever get any kind of a definitive word from God? that said behavior was sinful. How can God be predictive that the sins that they are committing are sin in his sight and that he has the right to punish them for said sins, though they didn't even have a copy of the word of God in their hands, perhaps to know. They didn't have a copy of Leviticus. Well, because in general revelation, we're going to see in Romans that that which is known about God is evident within them, where God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes and eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen through what has been made. Intuitively, every human being that's ever been born on planet Earth intuitively would know that the moral devices of Leviticus 18, 6 all the way through 22 are a depravity before the Lord God because their conscience would smoke them severely. And thus, God is going to punish them for not following the light that he even revealed to them in their conscience. And thus, sometimes people say, well, why would God bring the Israelites out of Egypt and move them into somebody else's land? Well, listen, it, said, uh, it was prophesied in Genesis through Abraham that his people were going to be enslaved for 400 years, and then God was going to bring them out because the, the, um, the sins of that nation weren't ripe just yet. And for some reason it took 400 years? I don't know. Ask the Lord on his timing. That's his timing. But the bottom line is, we see here, he's punishing them for their sin. The sin of homosexuality and the sin of a myriad of other things that they were doing that were detestable. An abomination. But you, verse 26, are to keep my statutes ordinances. You must not commit any of these detestable things. Not the native or the foreigner who lives among you. For the man 
For the men who were in the land prior to you have committed all these detestable things, and the land has become defiled. If you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it has vomited out the nations that were before you. Any person who does any of these detestable practices must be cut off from his people. You must keep my instruction not to do any of the detestable customs that were practiced before you so that you do not defile yourselves by them. I am Yahweh, your God. Very strong language, is it not? So again, in the New Testament, when you see it talking about fleeing youthful lust and other sexual sins, their context, their background from which they were deriving such law, the moral, timeless moral law of God has been codified for them and for us and for all people, not only in our hearts, but now also in a book. And we call it the book of Leviticus 18. So clearly one of the reasons the Lord's judgment against the inhabitants of the land of Canaan was the sin of same-sex relations. And God clearly prohibited his people from doing those detestable things. We see that reiterated over and over and over. And so we see very, I, I believe very plainly from a passage like Leviticus dealing with the, the Egyptians and the Canaanites that God's moral laws are timeless and people will be held accountable for their sin in violating such timeless moral standards. We see that without reservation here in Leviticus 18. Perverse sexual sin as listed here in Leviticus 18 is a clear indication of people doing what's right in their own eyes. It reminds me of in the days of Noah. It says that people were doing what was right in their own eyes and it grieved God so grievously that he sent a worldwide destruction upon the entirety of the earth to wipe out people because he was grieved that he had made men and in their depravity because of Adam's sin and their, their inheritance of that led to such grave depravity because they became suppressors of truth. They were unrestrained sexually. A clear indication of people who do not know the one and true living God. And true biblical Christianity has always been at odds with said immoral practices in any culture and in any time and are called to stand upon the truth of God's word, come what may. This is why when the law of man starts to encroach on and eventually becomes a violation of the law of God, faithful men and women are called to stand and take a stand. Again, come what may. Whenever the, uh, the disciples were told to stop speaking about the name of Jesus, they said, hey, I don't know about you, says much as it depends on us, we can't stop speaking about the name of Jesus. So they arrested them and threw them into prisons. See also a pastor Coates up in Canada who's already been in prison once for taking a stand against the law of man, holding to instead the law of God. And what we know clearly from the scriptures as by way of revelation is that anything relative to same-sex relations and all this gender dysphoria confusion that's out there, that those things are nothing less than the lie of Satan, doctrines of demons, Satan himself who is the father of lies. We know very clearly the scriptures say that it was God who made them male and female. Amen? Amen. So if you have a man's body, you're a man. 
Man, it's kind of simple. <laughs> Seems to be scientific. So if you're a man, you have a male's body, you're a he, him. <laughs> if you have a woman's body and you're, you're a female and you're a she, her. Again, anything else is just a rejection of the truth of God's word. It's evidence that there is a father of lies. And this is what we must maintain in our understanding and have a distinction on. You've heard the old saying, you don't hate the sinner, but you hate the sin, right? We have to remind ourselves that those who were in Egypt and those who were in Canaan practicing such detestable things, they're not our adversary. On the surface of it, it sure looks like they are, don't they? And oftentimes our barrels are cocked and loaded and ready to blow them off the, off the surface of the waters. We have to remind ourselves that our true adversary is the devil, the father of lies. And they are simply under his sway. Not only is he the father of lies, we know from Romans 1 that individuals also have the sad ability to suppress truth. And when you put the two together, you got the lying the adversary trying to undercut the authority from God's word. And it's God who made the male female. And listen, make no mistake about this. Every bit of this, homosexuality and all of this from beginning, this was happening in the book when they were writing Leviticus. This kind of stuff was happening in Egypt, in Canaan. There's nothing new under the sun. But let me assure you of this. It's nothing less than, a, than an attack on the character and person of God from his great foe, our great foe, our adversary, the devil. It's God who made them male and female, and where is the viciousness of the attack? It's against maleness and femaleness. It's against the sanctity of marriage, one woman and one man. No, we're going to have two men get married. No, we're going to have two women get married. No, that man, if he says he's a woman, by gosh, he can be a woman, or vice versa. The attack is an attack on the authority of God and on his person. This is a spiritual issue, and this is why it's important that we as a church understand that when the law of man starts encroaching upon the law of God, as it has done in Canada, and is now criminalizing evangelism, which is what this law does. We cannot be silent. And unfortunately, I put my name on a list that I was going to do this today, so they're probably going to come get me sooner than they're going to come get you. And if they do come get me... I pray to God this church doesn't miss a step. They just keep on going. Next man up, Harky gets up, he starts preaching, they drag him off. Who's next? Me. Right here. Elder <laughs> Royce. They come and get him, take him away. Who's up next? <laughs> well, the list got short real fast. <laughs> I'm telling you, we chuckle about this. Because it, we haven't felt it yet. We're in Oklahoma. Man, we, we haven't felt it yet, but it's coming. This law that was passed in Canada passed a week ago today. Unanimously passed. So these individuals, of whom are practitioners of homosexual behavior, and have all this... Confusion all of a sudden, it seems, over gender issues. <clears throat> they are the people who need the Lord the most. 
they are the people that need to get the gospel into their ears most closely the most. See, in Romans 1, which I quoted a portion of here recently, <clears throat> lets us know that they are simply their suppressors of truth. But what we saw, <clears throat> as we saw in Leviticus, the suppressors of truth, as we saw over here in Leviticus, the wrath of God was revealed from heaven, heaven and was about to be revealed from heaven upon them in a very severe way because of their suppression of truth the internal truth of God that was in them. And so we see that the wrath of God is still consistently as it was then, it has always been and will always be revealed. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against ungodliness and unrighteousness. People, men and women, who suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. And this is where I started quoting, because that which is known about God is evident within them. The internal moral truths of God's law is within them. Why? Purpose statement? It's because God made it evident to them. That knowledge is known to them because God made it known to them intuitively. And he did that through the creation of the world, through natural revelation, where we see his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature were put clearly on display. And so all of that is understood through what's been made. Man was made to look up into the heavens and say, there must be a God out there. I have a moral compass within me, and I'm on this vast rock. Don't even know how vast it is. At, at that time, they didn't. In this vast space, they had no idea how vast the space around them was. They were intuitively able to look up and recognize that what was happening in their hearts and everything they saw around them, that there had to be a God in heaven who made all of this. And as such, they are without excuse. And this is why God's wrath is just when it's revealed from heaven against unrighteous people who practice such immoral and detestable behavior because it flies in the face and it's an attack against the very person of God. And we see here later in Romans 1, as we continue, we see that as a result of the suppressing of the truth of God, and again, remember, who's the father of lies? Satan is. But that doesn't stop us as people from going ahead and suppressing truth, in other words, believing the lie, and hardening our conscience and hardening our hearts and hardening our souls against what we intuitively knew was true. And we so badly want the lie because we believe it's going to bring us some form of pleasure, immediate pleasure, and we're deceived, which is what the deceiver does as he deceived Eve. He's still in the business of deception. As a result of that hardening, notice the end of verse 21, their foolish hearts were darkened. They became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, and oh, are we not seeing this today? It's nothing new under the sun. They were doing it then, professing to be wise. They made themselves essentially fools and exchange the glory of the incorruptible God 
for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and forfeited animals and crawling creatures. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God who made them male and female and would bring a male and a female together and a man would take his wife and they'd become one. It would be the, the bedrock and the formation, the family units to be representatives, representatives of God and the Apostle Paul even says that in the marriage union, there's a mystery there. It's reflecting of God, Christ, with his church, his bride. Never be mistaken, the attack of the adversary in all of these sexual deviant behaviors is an attack against God's created order and design. That's where it's at. That's what, he's, that's what they're trying to blow up, and they have effectively criminalized it just north of us in Canada. And as the article made mention, 14 states in the United States already have laws that are ebbing in that direction. They're just more limited currently. Currently. So in verse 24, God gave them over in the lustful hearts of their impurity so that we see there's a giving over. Oh, you want that? Go get it. So that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Such detestable sexual behavior is a dishonoring of their bodies, a great impurity, for they exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature themselves rather than the creator who's blessed forever. And it was for this reason that God gave them over to degrading passions. So again, a giving over to that which is unnatural, degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural Function for that which is unnatural, and in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. The wrath of God has been and is continually and will for always be revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Men and women who have fallen prey to the deception of the adversary, they've hardened their conscience, the light that God put within them by way of natural revelation to put them on the scent that there has to be a God that's done this. So that when they, so when they hear the gospel, it would be a quick spark of light to them to say, aha, yes. This is telling me about the God who in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. That's where I'm at. And all the trees and animals. And even me. I didn't come up from some primordial soup. I didn't come from a bowl of alphabet soup. So I got thrown on the table and all of a sudden it, it spelled like complete sentences and turned into a dictionary. No. There's a great God who's a designer who's all intelligent and wise and moral and right and true. And I've known that it was Helen Keller, who's deaf, unable to hear, blind, unable to see. And when they broke through to her and were able to teach her how to communicate, and then they communicated to her about the God of heaven and Jesus Christ, it was Helen Keller who said, I always knew he was there, I just didn't know his name. Because that which is known about God was made evident within her, for God made it evident to her. And that has been from the creation of the world. Thus is the truth of the word of God. 
Amen? Amen. Now, you may remember last week we looked at a verse in Proverbs 29.18. Remember that passage, perhaps? It's the one that said, where there's no vision, people are unrestrained, but happy as he keeps the law. Remember, I kind of went there and waxed on that one a little bit. Well, I know I was thinking about that passage again in light of, of, of this context. <clears throat> and it's the ESV that translates that um, as this, where there is no prophetic vision. Because the word in the Hebrew there, hazan, for vision isn't simply talking about eyesight, the the capacity to just see your neighbor or see the steps so you don't fall. It's talking about something better than that. It's talking about a prophetic vision. And so the ESB, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. And then in the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, I pulled that out this week, and I was reminded, I love this translation. It says, without revelation, people run wild. But one who listens to instruction will be happy. And I couldn't help but think of how in this most important area of life, a culture that is suppressing and rejecting the revelation of God, a a, a revelatory vision from God on sexual morality and, and the need for a man and a woman being the bedrock of our society, people who are rejecting that as God's plan and design for how life works best and how human creatures were made to work best to glorify him, that just is absolutely what this passage is talking about. Without prophetic revelation, people run wild. <laughs> are we not seeing a pretty wild culture surrounding us? I mean, think, who would have thought that in just the past two years, this whole transgender dysphoria nonsense could have made the inroads that it had made? If you would have told me 10 years ago that that was going to be a bedrock staple piece on a political platform and party and people were going to buy, drink that Kool-Aid, I would have told you you were insane just 10 years ago, five years ago, four years ago. People are running wild. We're living again in the days of Noah. People are doing what's right in their own eyes. They've suppressed truth. They believe the lie of the adversary. They've suppressed the truth. They've hardened their conscience. God's given them over. And we see people running wild sexually all over the place. And it's a destruction of this culture. Listen, we think about this. This has happened probably all within the past 60 years, really, from a, in America, not around the world, but in America. I mean, think about it. In my lifetime, we've gone from Leave it to Beaver and Little House in the Prairie as top-line main TV programs for families to watch to Modern Family, which I've never seen, but I did look this up, and another one called The Fosters. And I hope nobody's seen that one either. I had to write down what this is about. The Fosters is an ABC family drama, the parents of which are a biracial lesbian couple and their kids are made up of biological, adoptive, and foster children. The series underlines the basic cable network's tagline, tagline a new kind of family. So... <laughs> I'm talking about people are running wild. And this is what's coming into your home on main TV channels saying, hey, this is what the new modern family looks like. Adapt to that. And if you won't, we're going to encroach upon you with some laws and we're going to we're going to tap you down and ultimately tap you Christians out. 
Because again, it's not the man or the woman who's signing the bill. It's the adversary, the devil, who's behind them, working them in ways, firing darts, hardening of their conscience, the hatred of all things, moral and right and good, of the gospel. Purveyors of wickedness. And let me remind us again, I always feel a little bit off whenever I'm waxing kind of heavy on that. Because those are the people that I'm going to take the gospel to. Kindly, with love. We read a passage on love. If I don't have love, I'm just a resounding gong. If I'm out there blasting those people through with, with my loaded, you know, double-barreled NASB, ESV, Holman Christian standard, bam, I'm just blowing people right up out of the water. Um, there's not going to be much hope for them saying, oh, I, you're, you know, the wisdom from above, you're demonstrating that it is reasonable. No, I'm going to come across as someone who simply hates the sinner. And we've got to be careful about that. And I'll be, I'll be the first to admit it. It's hard to make that distinction. Are you feeling it? It's hard to make that distinction. There's some people I really don't like. And I'm asking God often, can you help me just love them? Can I, can I pray for my enemy? Because ultimately, they've just been deceived by Satan. they bought into a pack of lies. And in believing that and running with that long enough, God gave them over to depraved mind. And we see depraved mind, people running wild all over the place. And such is the problem of sin. But such is the good news that we possess, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what makes the criminal criminalizing of evangelism just to our northern border, which is going to creep into our country, so staggering. When the law of man tries to override the law of God and control your one responsibility as a believer to go make disciples. One, how many commissions? One commission. Go make disciples. And what's entailed in making disciples is the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. And what's the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ all about? It's about conversion. We don't use the word therapy. But the, the C4, it's a crime to promote any kind of conversion therapy. The gospel, if you will, is like a healing salve. Let me show you. Let's skip Genesis 1. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 6. We see this very plainly. First Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexual, homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, or drunkards, nor revilers, or swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know about you, but When I see, here we have effeminate, here we have homosexuals. Effeminate is from the Greek word malakos, and it's a word that simply refers to the, um, 
Let me pull up my, my Lua Lidao here. Malakos is referring to the passive male partner in homosexual sin. So we see that it's including the, the passive male partner in this word here for homosexuals is the Greek word that is making reference to the, the active male partner. So you've got both, Paul is covering both ends here in, in the Revelation on this sin of homosexual act, or acting out. Whether you're the effeminate one or you're the dominant one, it's you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. You're, you're a part of what's called the unrighteous, and you're not going to make it to heaven. The kingdom of God here is, is an idea of a kingdom that God's going to be ruling over. Jesus is going to be ruling over a kingdom forever and ever and ever. You're not going to be inheriting that kingdom if your life is marked by decisive sins and you're willing to repent from them and turn away. But the, the, the interesting thing about this is that these aren't the only two sins that are mentioned here. We also have fornicators, singles having sex outside of marriage, idolatry of any kind, and that, that list could go on. Anything that you made an idol of your heart and you love more than God and you worship more than God, it could be, a, a, I could list off a myriad of things. More adulterers, married folks going outside their marriage bed and having sex with each other. Oh, and nor thieves. As a way, as, as a lifestyle, nor covetous, as a, as a lifestyle, nor drunkards, as a lifestyle, nor revilers, as a lifestyle, so on, et cetera, et cetera. All of these are considered, do you not know that the unrighteous, so all of these point back to who? The unrighteous. <coughs> all of these are pointing back to the unrighteous that will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, notice verse 11, and this is why you cannot criminalize. Evangelism and conversion. Because this is what we're about. We're about people who were, who were thieves and swindlers and idolaters, the effeminate, the homosexuals, the fornicators, the adulterers. The gospel is reaching out to those. So verse 11, he says, such were some of you. Isn't that good? Such were some of you. In other words, those of you within the church who have been washed, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified positionally for God. He did it. He poured into you the very righteousness of Christ. Thus, he sanctified you and he washed you clean from, from the, the filth of the world in which he, he rescued you from. Such were some of you. You were these individuals. You were the effeminates and the homosexuals and the idolaters and adulterers and the fornicators. Such were some of you. Did you notice the past tense nature of this word? What intersected their life? was the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and a call to repentance, a call to turn away from your evil practices, to go and sin no more. Well, if you're living in Canada and you start preaching to someone who's an effeminate or a homosexual, currently it's criminalized up to five years in prison if you say, turn from your sin, repent from that, and stop doing it, or you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. This isn't a small issue, church. And it's coming your way. And MacArthur and some others felt and deemed it worthy to bring to our attention that such an issue like this is this close on our borders and we need to be prepared for this because this is what we do. We are, we are those who are called to go to this group right here, but such were some of you. This is who we're praying for. We have an evangelistic prayer list. Hopefully we do because... We want to see God's elect get saved. And currently there's probably a lot of God's elect out there who are still sinners 
and needing to have their eyes open with the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says in Romans 10, the people who do that have beautiful feet. Beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And this is what makes the gospel good news. It makes unrighteous people washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. Amen and amen. Right? Because the gospel is good news. So, I thought about going, about going through um, oh, I just, what's the name of that book, Harkey? Oh, um, how long have been? My, my is it bad like, no, it, it's that. Oh, it's, it's a resource. I mean, yeah, you, go, you look at the word persecuted nearly every place in the book. Concordance, thank you. I'm losing my mind. Getting old is rough, Greg. I see you chucking at me back there. I thought about pulling out the concordance and putting in like a word persecuted because all who seek to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, it says in the book of Romans. And other places, so I thought about putting together a whole list of those and laying them on and set the end. And I thought, well, I don't want us to be too discouraged on our way out today, but I do want your eyes open. And I want you to be aware of some significant movements that are happening. And you know me. Listen, I've been preaching here at Jean's Bible for three years. You know I'm not an overly political person, right? I don't get up and start preaching about Republican news. But listen, when the law of man starts violating against the law of God, someone has to ring a bell. And the pastors of the land have to be willing to stand up and put their necks on the line first and say, Thus saith the Lord, come what may. And so we need to pray for our pastor brethren up in Canada. It's going to be a tough Sunday for them today. If they put their name on a list that said they're going to get up on January 16th and preach about this, and the law was just passed a week ago, some brave men out there. And I pray that when it reaches us in America, that there will be brave men who will man pulpits and continue preaching, thus saith the Lord, and that we will be willing in the church to stand on truth, come what may. And I don't care what political persuasion or party you come from. This is a biblical issue and an attack against the character and the name of God. And so here we stand at Jesus Bible Church. I know the heart of the elders. Here we stand. We're going with God all the way to the end of the line. We're going with the truth as revealed in God's word all the way to the end of the line. And if they take us and throw us in prison for five years for preaching, that's going to be what's going to have to happen. Now, I was looking through Daniel, and I realized I'm not going to be hitting that topic for some time, so I might be good for a while. But if they go back and they listen to January 16th, they may call me in and start questioning me. I don't know. But my point is, is church, we're going through the book of Daniel. Remember chapter 2? Statue of man and the, the power and the authority of man and the rock that was cut without hands that came and smashed the feet of the statue, Remember? We talked about how that rock, it, it, all, the other, all the rest of the statue was like chaff on the threshing floor, gone. And this rock grew into a mountain that overtook the entirety of the world. God's kingdom is coming. 
and will take over, and Jesus is going to rule on this earth with a rod of iron. Not just for a thousand years, like a millennial kingdom reign, but there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, and he will reign forever and ever and ever and forever. We know this because of divine revelation, but what we also know from the book of Daniel, not there yet, when we get to chapter 7 and into chapter 9, we're going to see that there's going to be an antichrist who's going to sign a peace treaty with the nation of Israel. And it's going to enter into what Daniel and Daniel 9 talks about, the seven-year period. It's known as the 70th week of Daniel. We're not there yet, but I'm piquing your interest so that you keep coming back for Daniel. Because <laughs> you're going to learn about some of these things. And so what I'm saying is that what we're seeing today, just a week ago, with the signing of legislation criminalizing evangelism just to the north of us, is the day of the beginning of that seven-year period of Daniel's 70th week. If you're paying attention to the signs and times around you, that might be one that kind of gets your attention. <laughs> Don't fall so asleep and get just so in love with your own American dream thing that you forget that you're here to tell people who need the Lord the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Because that day's coming. It's not here yet. But we're starting to see the forming of those days coming. And I think what happened last week is one of those big flares that went up and said, did you see that? <coughs> Pay attention. Because it is on the horizon. It's on the horizon. Let's pray together.